Scripture today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the, and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who, dwell, who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken on the day of Midian. For every boot of trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here ends the reading of God's word. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to hear this text and not sing Handel's Messiah in the back of my head, right? I'm not going to sing it for you, but in my head, I'm singing it, and And he has this sort of pageantry to it, and we recognize it because we sing it, or we we say it at at Advent uh, every year. This year we're going to take four Sundays uh, leading up to Christmas to look at these words, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. These titles that Isaiah gives to this coming one. Today we're going to talk about Wonderful Counselor. Now, Now, Handel made a little mistake here. He put, he put a little comma in there thinking it was wonderful and counselor, but they, they really go together. A wonderful counselor. And we, we want to talk today about what that means. There's an interesting passage. It's not really directly quoted in the New Testament. There's a lot of great passages predicting the birth of Jesus. This is one we read every Advent, but the New Testament doesn't actually refer to this one. Only, only really briefly in Matthew 4 is the, are the first two verses of this sort of, sort of paraphrased. But all this stuff about wonderful counselor and a child is born, uh, the New Testament authors don't go back to. It's not until later that the church looks back and says, oh, this is about Jesus. But whenever we deal with prophecy, we've got to go back and look because the, the prophet Isaiah, writing in about the 8th century B.C., um, he's not really thinking about Jesus. The, the message that Isaiah has is much more immediate to the listeners that he is writing to. He, he's not writing a message for people 800 years from now. He's writing a message to the people right now. And so we've got to make sure we understand his message to those people as we, in the process, think about um, this message that we're reading 
and Advent. So I've got to do a little bit of background here. I've got to give you a little background on who Isaiah was and what he's writing about. Isaiah was an 8th century BCE Jewish prophet. The book of Isaiah is typically thought of to be written in three sections. Um, verse, uh, chapters 1 through 39 seem to be, by their content and language, written before the exile, before the, the, the nation of Israel, which is, at that point, actually, we're talking about the northern Israel as opposed to Judah in the south. So it's written before Israel gets taken off into captivity by the Assyrians. Chapters 40 through 55 are written during the exile. So those are chapters written while the people are in this other place. And then 56 through 66 are written after the return. In fact, the three sections are so distinct, a lot of scholars think maybe they're written by different people. Maybe Isaiah writes the first one and then his followers continue his prophecy and write later. Whether you buy into that idea or not, there are these three kind of distinct sections of Isaiah. And because we're in chapter 9, we are very clearly in the first section. So this is before the exile. Israel's sitting around, but the Assyrians are growing in power. And Israel knows they're going to have to deal with the Assyrians, and they know there's really no way they can deal with this brutal Assyrian army. There's no way they're going to be able to stand up to these people. Um, And so there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of political unrest as they're trying to decide what leaders might be better leaders in these times of distress. Seems inconceivable that little Israel can hold their own against such a ruthless force. But they're trying to hang on to a little bit of hope that maybe we can hold out and maybe we'll be okay. They are truly walking, as the passage says, in a time of deep darkness. That phrase, deep darkness, you would recognize as it's translated in Psalm 23 as the shadow of death. They are, they're in this time of the shadow of death, of deep darkness, not sure what's going to happen. But Isaiah writes because he's hopeful that God can do something. Israel can't win this by force, but God has the ability to step in and bring them out of the darkness. So this passage is about reversal. And if you go back and read it again, you'll see that quite clearly. The, you, the people walked in the darkness, where are they now? They're now in a great light. They're increasing joy. While they're expecting to be plundered, instead, it's said that they are dividing plunder. The yoke and the bar that was across the shoulders is now broken. The uniforms and the boots of this superior force are red with blood and burned in fire. There's this reversal that that Isaiah is writing about. And he writes about it as a poem, looking forward to this answer that God will bring to these people And it seems like he thinks he's looking for a Hebrew royal to end this Assyrian rule. And we're not sure. We're not sure what Isaiah is quite thinking and what the context is. Maybe he writes this at the birth of a king. Maybe he writes this as Hezekiah, Prince Hezekiah, is made king in Israel or some other event. But whatever the occasion, Isaiah seems to be talking about something bigger than that occasion. Right? That God is at work. That this king will reign forever. That this perfect ruler will not just bring peace. But the text says endless peace. And that it is something of the Lord's doing. And so Isaiah uses these royal terms. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting father. 
Prince of Peace, to name this thing that God is up to. And today we're looking at this idea of wonderful counselor. Now, when you and I hear counselor, what we typically think of is going in, sitting on a couch, and talking to somebody about our problems, right? But that is not the way this word counselor is used in the Bible. The old way of using the word counselor is really more counsel as in leadership, as in guidance, and normally referring to a king. Uh, It means rule, governance, decision-making. Micah 4.9, for example, says, Why... Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? Micah uses that word counselor to refer to a king. Isaiah, in fact, does this of the Lord later in Isaiah 28, 29. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. He's wonderful in how he counsels, how he rules, and in his wisdom. That word wonderful means full of wonder. And we typically use that word to say that something's pleasant, lovely, likable. Wasn't that wonderful what somebody else does for them? But the word literally means incomprehensible. To have wonder or awe at something. To, be, to, to sit back and say, I can't even understand that. I can't even put words behind what I'm witnessing. That's, that's what wonderful really means. The idea is that this rule of this king would be so good and so beyond our understanding that we will look and wonder at it and be amazed at it. This would be a king like Solomon, David's son, who has this kind of rule and has this kind of wisdom. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He is the one who gives wise governance, wise rule, great leadership. Isaiah doesn't know the name of this wonderful counselor. He's giving these titles, but I think he's still maybe looking for it in a king or a prince that's going to come in his day. But in hindsight, we can see that Jesus is this wonderful counselor. Is there any doubt that Jesus is wonderful? He did miracles. He healed. He drew crowds. He wowed them with insights and teaching. I mean, in the Gospels and multiple times, people are astonished. They are full of wonder at what Jesus does. And Jesus does indeed have great counsel. He is great in wisdom and stature. He has astounding wisdom that the leading thinkers, the leading counselors of his day uh, can't even respond to. They can't even, they're, they're stuck in silence. And he has a very different kind of way that talk, of talking about the world that leaves people who are struggling, who are poor, who are oppressed, and leaves them hopeful and full of life. But like the ruler that Isaiah is looking forward to, Jesus does not come in expected ways. He's not a powerful king by earthly standards. He's a carpenter. He's not born in a palace, but in a manger. He doesn't hold a public position But he did implement a new and unique public policy, though he does it through his people. Jesus is born under the backdrop of a political reality, not unlike what Isaiah had. Remember how the story begins as we begin our journey to Christmas. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. The backdrop of this birth, of this coming king, is a clear sign 
that that king is not in charge, that we are under the impression of the Romans who get to say when you have to go to a town and register. And why were you registered? You were registered to be taxed. You were registered so that people knew where you were and they could tax you. This doesn't stop there either. What starts as this census ends up with a public crucifixion of Jesus. The bookends of Jesus' earthly life are signs of Roman oppression. But the kingdom that Jesus has is not the kingdom that we expect. And I'm not sure it's the kingdom that Isaiah expects. It's bigger. Jesus is a wonderful counselor who came in a very dark time and offered wise governance to his followers. And here's the interesting piece. Then he left. He doesn't stick around to rule. And even at Jesus' ascension, disciples are saying, is it now time for your kingdom? But he's got a different kind of kingdom. And the kind of kingdom that he sets up, he leaves you and I as the wonderful counsel to the world. As Luke 21 says, Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. See, we are given the wisdom. And it is a wisdom that our world so desperately needs. Don't you think this world is kind of dark right now? Don't you think we all need some wise counsel? The reality of our world is pretty dark. If I had to describe the way I see most people living right now, and it's really strong right now, I think I would use the word overwhelmed. Anybody else feel overwhelmed right now? With just a lot a lot of bad news, a lot of questions about the future, a lot of fears and doubts and worry. We're all trying to figure out how to raise kids or how to be kids, how to deal with having kids or how to have grandkids and great-grandkids. We're getting older, moving from our homes, losing friends and family. We worry about our finances. We feel loss and grief and shame. I think a lot of us feel overwhelmed. And unfortunately, it's Christmas time. Isn't that sad? At Christmas, we should be celebrating this wonderful counselor. We have all these words on our banners, like love and joy and hope and peace. But often at Christmas, those are the exact opposite of how we feel, right? Christmas is a time of deeper depression. It's a time of higher suicides in our country. Because we feel this extra pressure to look like we have it all together. To have the gifts that, that people want. To have the, uh, the things that people desire. And so we spend. And so we spend more than we have. And we buy into this lie that if we just had more, things would be okay. Or if everybody just liked us. Or if our family would finally come together But this peace that we're seeking, this hope that we drive for at Christmas, doesn't come from that kind of counsel. It has to come from a different kind of counsel. And so today I want to invite you to approach Advent a little differently. Not as a season of more and get more and have more, but it is a season of expectation, of waiting, of resting. 
as a season where you understand that what you're really waiting for and what you're really striving for, you're never going to be able to buy at the mall. You're never going to be able to buy with the opinions of others because deep down your heart longs for a wise counselor that's much bigger than that. I don't know if, I don't know if the politics of our day uh, tapped into this or made this worse, but we just are overwhelmed and worry-filled right now. I want to invite you to a different kind of Christmas. Kind of Christmas that, that kind of Advent that says to the world, no, 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 I'm not going to buy into these lies because the counselor I follow has much wiser and more wonderful counsel than you have. I want to invite you to the wonderful counsel of Advent. Let Jesus be your wise ruler in this time. Let us pray. Lord, it is Christmas. Many of us are so worried and overwhelmed, it snuck up on us. I can't believe, Lord, that we're already having an Advent sermon. But here we are. Help us not to be overwhelmed in this season, but help us to have you as our wonderful counselor. Guide us to the wonder of this season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.